Yeah, so our family did what every good Christian family does prior to Christmas uh, on Thursday night. We decorated our tree. That was a joke. We decorated our tree, and then we thought, oh, how do we cap off this moment? Well, of course, we turned on the television, because all great moments are uh, really brought to their cherry on top with the television these days. So we turned on the television and watched uh, the Charlie Brown Christmas. Raise your hand if you've seen the Charlie Brown Christmas this year. People. We got to get with the pro. I mean, I'm behind on a lot of Christmas shopping, but at least I've seen the Charlie Brown Christmas, right? So, yeah, we watched the Charlie Brown Christmas the other night. Uh, for whatever reason, year after year, we just love it. Uh, it's short, it's sweet, it just, we just enjoy it. So, there's this struggle in Charlie Brown, right? He's sad, he's miserable. He sees all these happy people, and he's like, What's wrong with me? What is this really all about? And then, is it Linus? Preaches. Right? Linus just preaches. And like, I get saved every time uh, we watch Charlie Brown Christmas. I'm just like, that cat can preach. And so uh, Linus preaches. And, um, but, but Charlie Brown is asking this question, what is Christmas all about? Like, what's all this joy and why am I not experiencing it? So maybe you're there uh, as well this morning. Maybe you're uh, caught up in the fake joy and the, the, the misery of consumerism as you just keep doing this and calling that Christmas, right? Because that's what it's all about, right? Swipe, swipe, or buy with one click. <laughs> so easy now, right? You're getting caught up in the fake joy and misery of overspending, forced giving, and you're kind of sad. Uh, and you're asking yourself, this is, you're saying this isn't what it's all about, is it? I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm the only, word that, only one that feels that uh, at times when you go through the Christmas season. Or maybe you love it, like you're caught up in it. Like, this is so fun and exciting. And all the swiping, it's like giving you all the temporal joy uh, that you could possibly conjure up. And this is just exciting and fun, but, but nonetheless, all of that is just leaving you confused, really, about what Christmas is about. So here we are today, in the midst of the madness, we do our job at Renovation Church. We tell you clearly what Christmas is about. Christmas is about Jesus. That's what Christmas is about. It's about Jesus Christ, period, end of story. Christmas is about Jesus. And this year in our series, we've been focusing on the fact that Jesus has been sent by the Father. This series is called Sent. We're walking through the Gospel of John we're looking at uh, some passages that, that speak to and emphasize the fact that Jesus has been sent by the Father. Okay? But who cares? whoop de doo Jesus has been sent by the Father. Yay. Why does this matter so much? And that's where we turn our attention, that this does matter. And it's because of who Jesus is, being sent from the Father, and what he's doing in the world that brings significance to the fact that he has been sent. So let's turn to John 6, verses 35 through 40. We want to take a look at and understand uh, the purposes behind the Father sending the Son and its implications for us. So we continue in John. John chapter 6, 
35 through 40. This is what the word of the Lord says. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God abides forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Metaphors are powerful symbols that convey meaning. Now, if you're from Louisiana, you might say metaphors, which I have heard before, which is kind of funny. So, but we're in New York. So metaphors are powerful symbols that convey meaning. Here's an example for you, right? Uh, Forrest Gump could have said something like this. He could have said, life is unpredictable. We would agree with him, right? Yeah, to some degree. There's some predictability to life, but in many ways, many are the plans of a man's heart, but the Lord guides his steps, right? There's an unpredictability that comes from life. So say, all right, Forrest, we're with you. But imagine if we heard Forrest say something like this. Life is a what? Box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. That just conveys something much more powerful, much different. It, it hits, right? The metaphor is a powerful way to, to convey meaning. And so here we are in verse 35. Jesus is using a very powerful metaphor to convey meaning. More specifically, to convey the nature of his identity. What does he say? Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. There's a metaphor. Bread. The bread of life. Where's that coming from? Well, it's not a random metaphor that he just comes up with. There's a lot of context that goes with this metaphor, the bread of life. If you know John chapter 6, you know what's gone on. The miracle that's just occurred. Does anybody remember what happens in John 6? If you flip back a little bit, this unthinkable miracle that we could never conceive taking place amongst 5,000 people? Does anybody want to remind me? Come on, let's pretend we're engaged here. What's that? Yeah, the bread and the fish, right? Feeding the 5,000. So here he has just done the unthinkable, taken the bread and the fish of this young boy, and dispersed it, and 5,000 people sitting there on the mountainside are fed fully, and there's 12 baskets of leftovers. 
He's just revealed his power and his authority to provide in an unthinkable, miraculous way. And so he is saying, right after them being filled with the loaves and the fish, he's saying, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. And if you think about a larger context, going all the way back to what? Exodus chapter 16 where God is providing miraculously in the wilderness as the people are redeemed out of Egypt. And what, it, what do you see the miracle that takes place there? That God is providing manna, bread from heaven, that they were to gather and take on a daily basis, except, of course, the Sabbath day, right? So they were gather double the amount the day before. This miraculous provision from God, he's saying in this moment... Nothing random, but something very uh, uh, crucial to their national identity, what they've experienced in the past. He's saying that bread foreshadowed a true bread from heaven. That is me. And he says it in, in chapter 6, verse 32 and 33. What does he say? Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. That bread was not the true bread. It was a very real, historic thing where God provided graciously for his people. But that was a bread that foreshadowed a true bread. That is Christ. He says this, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus, when he is saying, I am the bread of life, is saying that bread pointed to the true bread. And I am the fulfillment of that. The bread that you just experienced now in this miraculous provision, it is all to reveal my nature. Who I am. I am the bread of life. That bread is me. I'm the true bread that comes down from heaven. And so Jesus is this bread given by the Father to provide for his people. It's an amazing thing. That's who Jesus is. Jesus is the bread of life that is given by the Father from heaven to us. And then he goes on to say this. He says, "Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst." What an amazing invitation. What an amazing promise that being the bread of life, whoever comes to me will never thirst. Whoever believes in me will not hunger. Sorry, I got that backed up. Whoever comes to me will not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And because these people are asking from Jesus this bread, he's showing a contrast now. There's a difference between the bread that was given in Exodus chapter 16 and the bread that is given here in the person of Jesus Christ. That bread was something, again, they asked, give us this bread always. Constantly be giving us this bread, just like the bread in Exodus 16. But he's saying this, if you come to me, you'll never hunger. If you believe in me, you will never thirst That there's a lasting provision that is in the person and work of Jesus Christ. 
There's an eternal provision that if you come to him, if you believe in him, you'll never be hungry again. You'll never be thirsty again. It's unlike the bread given in Exodus 13. It's unlike temporal, physical provision. The provision that I give in who I am. Such an awesome, awesome declaration that Jesus is different than temporal bread. He provides a satisfaction and he sustains us in a way that physical food just always falls short. Right? We're hungry and we eat and we feel satisfied, but it only takes minutes, right? Okay, hours doesn't take long for the hunger pains to return and we need more, a continual need for physical food. But in Christ, we have a lasting, a sufficient provision for, a, uh, for the need of our soul and our heart. That's what Jesus is. That's who Christ is. It's a once-for-all provision that lasts. Now understand this. This doesn't mean that we don't still live in continual, ongoing dependence upon Jesus Christ every day. But there is a lasting provision, a once-for-all provision that comes in Jesus Christ for the souls of men and women that temporal bread can never provide. Right? Man shall live, not live, on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We know this, that Christ is the word of God. He is the lasting provision that will satisfy our souls and sustain us in this life all the way into eternal life. So I want you to hear that today. When Jesus says, I am the bread of life, whoever comes to me will never hunger, whoever believes in me will never thirst, he is promising and offering to the world a provision as the one who alone satisfies the human soul. It's not your career that will satisfy. It's not your success or your accomplishments. It's not your trophies. It's not the approval of other people in your life that will truly satisfy your heart. It's not physical food. And we need to hear that. I was talking to Doreen last night. I still have a, 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 a difficulty not seeing food as a source of comfort in the midst of stress. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's not food. It does not satisfy. It's not sex. It does not satisfy. It does not last. Right? It's not uh, entertainment. Man, do we go to entertainment in our world today. When we're down and we're empty, and we f- it's not that. It's not our phones. It's not deleting emails to feel like we're accomplishing something when we just have a little bit of time. It's not social media. It's not how many likes that we get on Facebook. That does not satisfy. We know it because when we don't get likes, we feel frustration and emptiness over that, don't we? We don't want to admit it, but it's true. So you say, I don't care. Well, good for you. Most people are infected by this problem, right? It's not these things. It's not uh, uh, just money and all the power that money gives you. Man, you know, we talk often uh, where we have been over the last 20 years. We first got married and how God has been gracious to provide. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's always that, 
There's always financial. If you're looking to it for, for peace and security, it never, no matter how much you have, it's never there if your trust is in it. You always need a little bit more. The carrot's always out in front. You're always racing a little bit more. If I could have a little bit more. That's what these temporal satisfactions do to us. They just create more need, a little bit more, a little bit more, because they don't satisfy sufficiently. But Jesus does. Jesus fully satisfies the human soul in a way that no temporal blessings that Christmas is supposed to be about ever does. Amen? That's Jesus. So come to Jesus. Trust in Jesus for lasting provision. Lasting provision. That's what this miracle does. It points to him as the sufficient source of satisfaction in the deepest part of who we are. That nothing this world could ever provide us. And so Jesus, whosoever comes to me, whosoever believes, then he looks at these people and he points out a tragic reality. Right? That many seek Jesus. Many affirm true statements about Jesus. Many even ask for bread from Jesus. And yet, as far as Jesus is concerned, you do not believe me. He says, verse 35, But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. If you really think about the context of that, it should leave us a little unsettled, especially in modern-day evangelicalism. We should really be thoughtful about this. This is a moment for us to really think, look internally about the state of our heart and, and, and what we're doing here each week and what our life looks like, where our faith in Christ really is. Because these are the ones who, who wanted to take Jesus uh, and make him king back in chapter 6. These are the people that, that said in chapter 6 verse 15, I'm sorry, 14, this indeed is the prophet who has come into the world in fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, the expectation of the Messiah. This is the prophet. We found him. Let's... Jesus perceives that they want to make him king, right? So these are the people that call him the prophet, rightly, he is that. And then they want to make him king. These are the ones that sought after Jesus when they couldn't find him. Where's Jesus? Let's go find Jesus. Man, we want to see Jesus. These are the people that are coming to Jesus and asking him for bread. They're coming to the right source. They're asking him for bread. Those people, he looks at and says, you have seen me and yet you do not believe. What in the world is going on? On the surface, it looks like they're doing all the right things. On the surface, it looks like they are coming to Jesus. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, you, you see me with your eyes. You seek me with your feet. Geographically, you've come to me. But in the heart, in, 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 in the deepest part of your soul, you do not believe. And do we not have at least the sneaky suspicion that in evangelicalism we have people who what? Affirm true things about Jesus, who ask Jesus for, uh, who, who know who he is, at least on the surface, 
the prophet that's coming to the world, who seek after Jesus, who attend church all the time, who are doing all the right things on the outside, and who even ask for Jesus for things to, to meet their temporal realities like bread, and yet are far from Christ. Do we have a category of people that fit there? Jesus does. You've seen me. And yet you do not believe. We must get introspective, as Jeremy always says. Thinking, looking inside. About this, the nature of our faith. Right? Our, our, the nature of our coming to Christ must not simply be geographic. We see him and our feet move toward him and we ask him for something. But it must be something that uh, takes a hold of our identity. That is an all-encompassing transformation of our heart. Right? Faith is a matter of the heart. That coming to Jesus, believing in Jesus, is a matter of the heart, the inner being of who we are. And the deepest part, not just doing the right things, not just checking the right boxes, and not coming to him when we need something only. Because you can do all of that, even in Jesus' name, as Matthew 25 says. And on judgment day, when he separates the sheep and the goats, he will say, I don't even know you. Faith is an inward work of God. It's a transformation of who we are, a total reorientation of our identity. Not just the doing of certain things that are right. That's just religious, right? To do and say things, yet in the heart we don't really trust. Do the right things. And if we come to Jesus just with an expectation of what he's going to give us, guess what? That's idolatry. The religious and the idolatrous, that's really who these people are. They want bread, right? Jesus says, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. You just want something from me. You don't want me. So let's be clear. Even as we talk about Jesus being the source of satisfaction for the human soul, we're not looking for something that he gives us. Like he's a means to another end. He is the means, amen, but he is the end, he is what we want. He is what we long for. He is what we trust and come to. Nothing more, nothing less. Jesus Christ. And so Jesus confronts their idolatry and their coming to him just for what Jesus can give them. And, and that leaves them unsettled. And that leaves us a little unsettled, right? We have this provision of God in Jesus Christ. We have people seeing it, people experiencing it, people getting excited about it. And in the end, Jesus is saying, yeah, you've seen all this and you don't believe in me. It's unsettling. And yet, now we turn to the next three or four verses. You know, if you, you say last week, Jeremy preached on the most famous Bible verse, right? John three sixteen. We did have a few Tim Tebow comments, which should satisfy most of us, which is wonderful, right? Well, that may be true. The next set of verses have to be some of the most reassuring passages in the Bible. 
Because even as uh, the people there, and even us as we interact with this, become unsettled, Jesus is not unsettled at all. Jesus is assured. Jesus is confident. Jesus is hopeful. Why is he? What is the source of his assurance? This assurance that is spoken of, that parallels the assurances of Romans 8, 28 through 30? Why is he assured? Well, I know why he's assured. Because he understands that human nature is inherently good. He knows that he'll find some good people that see him for who he is and trust in him. Right? I know why. It's based on the fact that there's a God-shaped hole in everybody's heart. It's only a matter of time before what I say and what I do, just that hole is filled. If that's not it, then where is our assurance? Where is the assurance of Christ? This is what he says. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. And already the controversy, well, that's not the meaning. That's not the author's intent here. Don't get, listen to what it says. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. His assurance, Christ's assurance, is in the work of the Father to give souls to him. Did you hear that? The work of the Father to give him souls. That's where his assurance is. Look at what he says. He's saying, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. This idea that the Father is actively at work giving souls to his Son. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. See, we love, the Father gave Jesus to the world. Everyone say amen. The Father gave Jesus to the world. And yet the Father continues to give, not just Jesus to the world, but souls to the Son. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. Such assurance. If the Father is giving a soul to me, that soul will come to me. That's my assurance. In the face of your unbelief. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. The Father is giving souls to the Son. So wonderful. That's where his assurance comes from. His assurance comes from the fact that all that the Father gives to the Son will come believe in Jesus. There aren't some that the Father gives to the Son that don't come to the Son. All that the Father gives to the Son, they come, they believe. What assurance that is. The work of the Father in giving souls to the Son. He goes on to say, whoever comes to me, whoever comes to Jesus, he will receive. The Father is giving a soul to the Son. The Son will receive that soul to himself. He will never cast them out. There's perfect cohesion between the giving of the Father and the receiving of the Son. There's no disconnect. 
That's where Christ's assurance lies. If the Father is giving a soul to me, that soul will surely come. Nothing will stand in the way of the will of the Father. And when that soul comes to me, when that soul believes in me, guess what? I will never cast them out. Such consolation. Such gracious assurance for us. Right? Come on. Comfort this is to us. Comfort this is to sinners saved by grace. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast them out. I will receive them as my own, as a gift from the Father to me. Such consolation for people who tend to uh, be faced with their guilt and their condemnation. They hear the voice of the enemy saying, God does not love you. God does not accept you. Your sins are too great. I know you've placed your faith, hope, and trust in Jesus, but because of what you've done and what you continue to struggle to do, he does not accept you. He does not love you anymore. Those who are prone to beating themselves up because of their sin and the things that they struggle with. And we're not here to excuse it or condone sin at all. Repent of it. But understand this, that if you have sincere, incredible faith in Jesus Christ, if you truly, in the deepest part of who you are, if you come to him, no matter how grotesque, no matter how gruesome your sin is, no matter how far it has taken you, guess what? He will receive you. He will receive you. Father's giving you. He will receive you. Whoever comes to me, whoever believes in me, I will never cast out. No way, Jose. Not going to happen. No possibility. Arms are wide open to the one that comes to me, whom the Father gives. Such consolation. Calvin says this, This is added for the consolation of the godly, that they may be fully persuaded, that they have free access to Christ by faith, and that as soon as they place themselves under his protection and safeguard, they will be graciously received by him. End of story. If the Father gives, I receive. No disconnect. Nothing can stand in the way of that. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's what makes Christmas so wonderful. Right? Jesus is the bread of life. That comes down to satisfy the human soul, but not just to satisfy the human soul, but to sustain those who what? The Father gives. To receive those the Father gives. To do the will of the Father. He says, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So he receives these sinners, and then he holds tight and will never let go to these sinners given to the, by the Father to the Son. I shall lose nothing of those he's given to me. That's the will of the Father. By the way, I've come to do the will of the Father. That's why I'm here. What's Christmas all about? The will of the Father done by the Son. That's what Christmas is all about. The will of the Father fulfilled in the Son. That's what it's all about. That's where our hope and our assurance lies. The will of the Father fulfilled in the, um, the work of the Son. It says, I shall lose nothing of all He has given me. Such assurance. 
So if Jesus receives you, does he ever let you go? Tell me. If, if Jesus grabs you in his arms and brings you to himself because the Father is given and you're believing, guess what? Will he ever let you go? No. No, he doesn't let you go. Again, such consolation for people who are walking through suffering and difficulty and grieving and pain and sorrow in the midst of this life. But if Jesus receives you, he doesn't let you go. No siree, no Jose, not a possibility. If the sun grabs a hold of your soul, he will never let it go. Because the Father's will will be done. And if he's giving me a soul, I receive that soul. And if I receive that soul, none shall be lost. None shall be lost. What hope and assurance we have in the will of the Father through the work of the Son. And that's why we sing, He will hold me fast. This verse is my, one of my favorites. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that? Do you believe that your salvation like, is, goes up and down, that your acceptance level based on your own works and merit goes up and down, that you're in and you're out, you're in and you're out, based on the kind of day you're having? Or do you believe that whom the Father gives, the Son receives, and whoever the Son receives, He holds? Such peace, such consolation for us that while we deal with trials and tribulations and suffering and sorrow, and we, we yearn and fight and persevere in this life, we do so even when we fall into a pit and struggle and, and stumble into a, into a pothole and mess up. And, and, and again, not to be excused in any way, shape, or form, but that Christ continues to hold us through that. And that our soul will not be lost because of the will of the Father, because of the work of the Son. That's where the assurance is. Not us conjuring up enough faith. The, work of, the will of the Father, the work of the Son, to bring about these things. All of our assurance lies in Him. And that's what Christmas is all about. But not only does He receive us, not only does He hold us, but the text goes on to give us great hope that He will indeed raise us up on the last day. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Not only is Jesus the bread of life, John 11, he goes on to say what? I am the resurrection and the life. Right? Someone sent me a text message this week, asked me the question, what verse do you use? 
when you're trying to console someone who's losing their spouse. And of course, with I was painting this week with at night painting with paint on my hands. I'm going, oh yeah, I'm a pastor, right? Kind of lose sight of like, oh yeah, I'm not just a painter. I have another identity. I have another function other than paint. Uh, in the moment, I'm like, I have no idea. But then I think thoughtful of it. I sent, first it all depends on the situation, like if they're a believer or not. I don't know the situation. But as I thought about it, I finally sent a text back. I said, John 11, the story of Lazarus. Right? For those who trust in Christ, there is a great hope, even in the midst of death, because of the resurrection. We live with the hope of the resurrection. And again, that is a work of the Son. Work of the Son to raise up those whom the Father gives, those who come to Christ in faith, those whom He holds and never lets go. He completes the work by raising them up on the last day. I was thoughtful of my grandmother today. She's not here. Big Walt's here. So I'll encourage him and her through him. There will be a day when, although she's not here, She'll be there on that resurrection day. She'll be there, and she'll get new lungs, and she'll get a, a, a new body, and she will sing without puffs of uh, air uh, or struggling for puffs of air. That's not just for her, though. That's for us, the us who trust in Christ. And again, that's what Christmas is all about, the work of the Father I'm sorry, the will of the Father and the work of the Son and part of the Son's work is to receive, to keep, and to raise up His own on the last day. This day may be a difficult day, but that day will be a glorious day when He raises us from the dead. Oh, death, where is your sting? That's where our assurance lies. In all of this, it just, I just can't say enough that as, as we're here today, if you've never heard of the good news of Jesus Christ, never heard of this at all, we, we point to Christ as the, as the satisfaction of the human soul. But not only that, how does he satisfy the human soul in a lasting way? Well, he does so by receiving us, by, by keeping us, and ultimately by raising us up on the last day. Even as we hear the promise, whoever comes to me will never hunger and will never thirst. That, that's an eternal reality that we still wait for. That one day we'll never hunger and thirst. Revelation talks about this. But we'll see it. We'll be full of it. Right? That's our hope. We point you to that hope. We point you to Jesus Christ. He is the gift of the Father to the world. And he's calling and giving souls to Christ. So if, if in your heart of hearts... You feel the Spirit of God drawing you. The Word of God is, is confronting you and also caring for you in this moment. Come to Jesus. Believe in Jesus and have the assurance of eternal life because Jesus is the bread of life. It's the bread of life that when you receive Him and come to Him and believe in Him, He gives you life, lasting life, eternal life. Trust in Him. Come to Jesus. For some of you here today that have heard this for a thousand times, be reminded. Be reminded 
of what the nature of true Christmas is, right? Be reminded of, of faith and coming to Jesus, the simplicity of that. Again, I've, I've shared that. I sometimes feel like I, I make things that are simple complex. Like, come to Jesus. If you have come to Christ and you believe in Christ, be assured of your salvation, which cannot be lost. Why? Because of the will of the Father and the work of the Son. Any hope of resurrection points us back to the victory that Christ has achieved on the cross for us. Any discussion of Christmas leads us to Easter. Why did he come? To live and to die so as to defeat death and give eternal life to all who trust in him. So come to Christ. Believe in Christ. If you have, rest assured that nothing can grab a hold of you and take that away. Rest in the Father's will. Rest in the work of the Son. Amen? That's who Jesus is. He's the bread of life. The source of all that satisfies your soul. And he is the sent one who has come to carry out the Father's will. To receive, to keep, and to raise up those whom the Father gives. All to the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Oh, Father, all glory be to you. All glory be to you for the work you have done and the work that you are doing. The work that you have done in Christ, sending him as the true bread from heaven to satisfy and sustain the human soul. Thank you, Father, that you continue to give souls to your son. If it wasn't for your work of drawing and giving, we would never come. No one comes to the Father unless, no one comes to me unless the Father draws him to me. Thank you for your work of drawing souls to Christ for your work of giving souls to Christ. And thank you that your son Jesus Christ is faithful to obey you, faithful to hold us and receive us, and that he will be faithful to raise us from the dead to eternal life. Pray even now you be drawing sinners to yourself drawing sinners to faith. Strengthen us, O oh God, with these words. Reassure us. Comfort us. Give us perseverance. All for your glory. In Christ's name.